0: Good evening. Hurricane Fiona heads up the coast. A new tropical depression takes its place. The United Nations General Assembly meets with an ominous warning and 1,000 unaccounted for deaths in U.S. prisons. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the news for Tuesday, September 20th, 2022. Hurricane Fiona blasted the Turks and Caicos Islands on Tuesday as a Category 3 storm after devastating Puerto Rico, where most people remained without electricity or running water and rescuers used heavy equipment to lift survivors to safety. The storm's eye passed close to Grand Turk, the small British territory's capital island. The National Weather Service says Fiona has turned north towards Canada's maritime provinces, but not to rest easy with another
1: storm brewing in the Atlantic. The system here to the east of the windward islands now has a high chance of formation over the next five days we're expecting it to move across the windward islands and into the uh, eastern and central caribbean sea and we uh, you can see the shower and thunderstorm activity associated with the system has gotten better organized since yesterday it's moving quickly off to the west at about 15 to 20 miles per hour and we are expecting a tropical depression to form by the time it gets into the Caribbean Sea. So this is a system that folks in the windward islands are going to want to pay attention to in the next couple of days as it moves across them. You could see heavy rainfall, some gusty winds, and everyone in the Caribbean is going to want to pay attention to this system as conditions do appear favorable for this system to go on and develop more as it moves into the Caribbean later this week and this weekend.
0: Rain was still lashing parts of Puerto Rico and the Dominican Republic on Tuesday. Authorities said they had restored power to nearly 300,000 of the island's million and a half customers. Puerto Rico's governor warned it could take days before everyone has electricity. And the world's problem sees the spotlight today as the United Nations General Assembly's yearly meeting of world leaders opened with dire assessments of a planet beset by escalating crises and conflicts. Secretary-General Antonio Guterres said our world is in peril.
2: Let's have no illusions. We are in rough seas. A winter of global discontent is on the horizon. A cost of living crisis is raging. Trust is crumbling. Inequalities are exploding and our planet is burning. People are hurting with the most vulnerable suffering the most. The United Nations Charter and the ideals it represents are in jeopardy. We have a duty to act, and yet we are gridlocked in colossal global dysfunction. The international community is not ready or willing to tackle the big dramatic challenges of our age. This crisis threatened the very future of humanity and the fate of our planet.
0: Other leaders said the same. We live in an era of uncertainty and shocks, Chilean President Gabriel Boric said. It's clear nowadays that no country, large or small, humble, or powerful, can save itself on its own. Meanwhile, Turkey's president, Recep Erdogan, touted the grain export deal that opened ports to food shipments from war-torn Ukraine. Nevertheless, he added the war cannot be won militarily.
3: The Ukrainian conflict is exceeding the seventh month threshold, and we think that the war will never have a triumph, And a fair peace process will not have a loser. This is important because we are always underlining the significance of diplomacy in the settlement of the disputes through dialogue once and for all. That's why we got together the parties in Antalya Diplomacy Forum and then in Istanbul to become facilitators in a reconciliation process.
0: Turkey's President Recep Erdogan. Coming after humiliating defeats at the hands of the United States-backed Ukrainian military, Russian-controlled regions of eastern and southern Ukraine announced plans to start voting this week to join Russia. In 2014, Russia sent troops into Ukraine's Crimean Peninsula and then held a referendum there that paved the way for its annexation by Moscow. But the United States was incensed by the move. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan called the referenda a sham.
1: Russia appears to be proceeding with plans to hold sham referenda in areas of Ukraine under its control and even in areas of Ukraine, as well as to prepare for potential mobilization measures. These referenda are an affront to the principles of sovereignty and territorial integrity that underpin the international system and that lie at the heart of the United Nations Charter. We know that these referenda will be manipulated we know that Russia will use the sham referenda as a basis uh, to purportedly annex these territories, either now or in the future. Let me be clear, if this does transpire, and obviously it's not a done deal yet, but if this does transpire, the United States will never recognize Russia's claims claims to any purportedly annexed parts of Ukraine. And we will never recognize this territory as anything other than a part of Ukraine.
0: In Donetsk, part of Ukraine's wider Donbas region, separatist leader Denis Pushlin said the vote will restore historic justice to the territory's long-suffering people. As morale has been flagging among Russian troops in Ukraine, evidenced by wholesale retreat by soldiers facing Ukraine's counteroffensive near Kharkiv. The lower house of Russia's parliament voted to toughen laws against desertion, surrender and looting by Russian troops. One of the world leaders in town to address the General Assembly is Iran's president, Ibrahim Raisi. Speaking at Tehran's airport before leaving for New York, Raisi says he has no plans to meet President Biden in an attempt to revive a battered nuclear deal. Meanwhile. Iran has been experiencing domestic turmoil after the death last week of a 22-year-old Kurdish woman, Masa Amini, arrested by Iran's morality police for allegedly violating the country's draconian laws on women's dress in public. She died in jail three days later. Wednesday morning, a group of activists is gathering to protest Iran's treatment of women near the United Nations ahead of Raisi's speech. Author and journalist Larry Everest was in Iran during the 1979 revolution. He says Iran's government is a reactionary mess.
4: Paul, good to be with you. I've been very active recently with the international emergency campaign to free Iran's political prisoners now. And tomorrow, The widely hated president of Iran, Ibrahim Raisi, is going to be addressing the United Nations. Raisi was on one of the death committees that helped order and orchestrate the 1988 mass murder of 5,000 political prisoners in Iran, and since he's become president of Iran, executions, repression, And uh, the brutality of this regime has increased, as have the very courageous protests by the Iranian people. People will have heard about the terrible death of Masa Amini, a woman who was detained by the morality police supposedly for violating their hijab rules, which mandates uh, covering one's hair and not wearing form-fitting clothing. Apparently, maybe there was a lock of her hair visible. Maybe some of her clothing wasn't as loose as they wanted, but they detained her, and three days later, she ended up dead. And this is emblematic of the kind of harsh repression, particularly against women in Iran, that will be out at the United Nations protesting tomorrow at 8 in the morning at 47th Street and Second Avenue, Dag Hammarskjold Plaza, and we'll be saying no to a Raisi, no to the Islamic Republic, and very importantly, no to any U.S. intervention, sanctions, threats, and so on. And we're going to be demanding justice for Massa. We're going to be demanding freedom for Iran's political prisoners, and people should. And then in the evening, we're going to be at 6 p.m., we'll be at Revolution Books, which is at Malcolm X Boulevard and 132nd Street in Harlem for an evening of internationalist solidarity with Iran's political prisoners. I'll be speaking. Anahita Rahmani will be speaking. She's a former political prisoner. Carl Dix, a longtime Revolutionary will be speaking, they'll be filmed from Iran. We are standing with the people of Iran and this murder of Massa has just ignited a furious response across Iran of protest, of massive upsurge of protests that have been gathering all year. And it's a very important thing for people to stand in solidarity with this. We proceed from the interests of humanity, not the governments on either side. What do you say
0: to people who claim you're just helping the United States, this is just another color revolution to uh, undermine a third world country, and that's the real threat here?
4: I say to those people, what you're doing is throwing 80 million Iranian people under the bus. You're accepting and validating the medieval religious fundamentalist enslavement of women. The fact of the matter is Islamic fundamentalism and imperialism are reactionary outmoded forces. Bob Avakian has analyzed this, that reinforce each other even as they clash.
0: Iran's police deny Amini was mistreated and asserted she had health problems. Her family says that's not true. Over three million people have read about her on social media. And with a huge surge of migration to the United States in recent months, the issue of immigration and acceptance of refugees has grabbed the headlines. Busloads of migrants are being sent to New York from the Mexican border by Texas, taking advantage of an agreement requiring New York City to house homeless people within a reasonable amount of time. Over the weekend, a chartered plane with 48 migrants from Venezuela arrived without warning at the Tony Resort Island of Martha's Vineyard. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis seemed to take responsibility. On Tuesday, President Biden questioned why Republican governors would target refugees from what he calls communist countries, Nicaragua, Venezuela, and Cuba.
4: This is a totally different circumstance. What's on my watch now is Venezuela, Cuba, and Nicaragua. And the ability to send them back to those states is not rational. You could send them back and have them, we're working with Mexico and other countries to see if we can stop the flow. But that's the difference. Thank you.
0: In related news, Sheriff Javier Salazar of San Antonio, Texas, where the migrant sent of Martha's Vineyard originated, said he was opening an investigation because it seemed like the migrants were lured under false pretenses.
5: On uh, Wednesday, September 14th, here in Bexar County in the city of San Antonio, as we understand it, 48 migrants were lured, I will use the word lured, under false pretenses into staying at a hotel for a couple of days. They were flown to Florida and then eventually flown to Martha's Vineyard, again under false pretenses is the, the information that we have, that they were promised work, they were promised the solution to several of their problems, They were taken to Martha's Vineyard for what we can gather for little more than a photo op, video op. And then they were unceremoniously stranded in Martha's Vineyard. And I believe that they were preyed upon. Somebody came from out of state, preyed upon these people, lured them with promises of of a better life, which is what they were absolutely looking for. With the knowledge that they were going to cling to whatever hope they could be offered for a better life to just be exploited, and hoodwinked.
0: sheriff Javier Salazar of San Antonio, Texas. In New York, Mayor Eric Adams says 11,000 migrants have shown up, mostly by bus, at the Port Authority. Adams says 8,000 migrants are still in the city shelter system. New York City has a robust network of agencies and churches set up to handle emergencies. Although budget belt-tightening has moved the mayor to question the agreement requiring the city provide shelter to anyone who asks. A radical priest, Juan Carlos Ruiz of the Lutheran Church of the Good Shepherd in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, has been helping migrants and unhoused people for decades. He tells the news it's as if Mayor Adams is in cahoots with the Texas and Florida governors to force a change.
3: Something amiss. Well, it's been quite a while for that. It it didn't just begin. You know, this kind of a river of people have been coming to our shores for many years. It has been unacknowledged. It has been politicized by Texas governor and Arizonas. It's being used as a strategy to have a negative impact. We know the New Yorkers and these so-called sanctuary cities have this sense that they have to be caring for the neighbor. The mayor and the people from the South, they wanna break somehow that tradition, long standing tradition of being neighbors to your neighbor. (laughs) For the last three months, I have seen an increase of people coming from the South, from the global South
0: these people are coming from what they Cuba Venezuela Nicaragua they're saying they're coming from communist countries I use that in quotes somehow we owe them more than we do people coming from let's say Haiti Mexico or um, capitalist countries
3: I think we do owe them more in the sense that there is foreign policy that targets the so-called communist countries it dehumanizes whole countries steals their self-determination, self-governance, foreign policy that somehow criminalizes ways of life and governance. We need to decry that. That's not American democracy. In some minds, it is that uh, American democracy is that. This brutal, radical, capitalistic state of, of things in which the person is but a means to an end
0: I saw the interviews with the migrants who are coming here and they said it was really strange that they were put under the spotlight, but they
3: really enjoyed the opportunity. They were getting great jobs. That is the contradiction of this great nation because it does offer quality of life, which in our home countries, I am from Mexico, but in our home countries is very much diminished by social insecurity where government has lost old credibility the judicial systems are in crisis some of these I countries that
0: folks are coming from you're saying are in collapse
1: yes.
3: virtual collapse these institutions that are collapsing sometimes uh, institutions that are complicit with the american government it is easier to invade a country it is easier to extract <laughs> the resources of a country that is in chaos
0: you thought the mayor was sort of mayor of new york mayor adams was sort of in on this in the,
3: the public shelter here in New York where most of the people are being directed to, it's, col- it's in collapse. Historically it's been so. What's new with these new waves of immigrants is, you, is that you have a lot of Afro-Caribbean people being pitted against another population that fills our public shelter, pitted against another population that has been historically bereft of their resources to live dignified lives in this city. If you ask me as a spiritual leader what we demand for the city to really invest on housing and not only for these newly arrived immigrants but for all residents in New York City.
0: Juan Carlos Ruiz of the Lutheran Church of the Good Shepherd in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. The use of bus tickets to get rid of the unhoused is nothing new. Each year, United States cities give thousands of homeless people one-way tickets out of town. And in Washington, D.C., the International Association of Firefighters joined a rally Tuesday to protest what they say are the federal government's inadequate efforts to regulate and remove cancer-causing chemicals from the environment. The firefighters joined the SAFE Coalition, seeking tougher regulation on cancer-causing chemicals, which are found in firefighter gear. Firefighter Jason Burns had this to say.
2: I've looked at too many widows, looked at too many fatherless, children. I've had enough. I'm willing to fight. I'm not going to tolerate you know this this carcinogen in my gear forever just because it's not profits over people. We will prevail. Um, we will absolutely uh, and and i I want to close with this before I introduce our next guy here, um, but I need to thank you for the work you're doing. There, there is an overuse and overabundance of toxic chemicals and everyday products and everything that we go every burning building that we go into and so the work that you guys do you might not know it indirectly you are making my job safer so for that i offer you a personal thank you i appreciate what you're doing
0: the rally comes on the heels of the annual fallen firefighter memorial weekend this year commemorating 469 firefighters who died in the line of duty in 2020 and 2021. Cancer caused the deaths of 75% of those fallen firefighters. And in related news, the Department of Defense announced that Secretary of State Lloyd Austin has appointed Admiral John Wade as commander of Joint Task Force Red Hill. Wade has one job to manage the defueling of World War II-era fuel tanks at a military base in Hawaii. The fuel is leaked into nearby wells poisoning drinking water at the base.
2: Uh, So yesterday, Secretary Austin announced the appointment of U.S. Navy Rear Admiral John Wade as the commander of the Joint Task Force Red Hill. Upon taking command, Rear Admiral Wade's sole responsibility will be to ensure the department's safe and expeditious defueling of the Red Hill bulk fuel storage facility in Oahu, Hawaii. The Department of Defense and the United States Navy remain focused on the health and safety of our military families and the people of Hawaii and the Secretary is confident that Rear Admiral Wade will continue to do everything necessary to protect the local communities and the environment affected by Red Hill. Ensuring clean, safe drinking water to our families and communities while addressing their continued health and safety concerns is among DOD's highest priorities. As he carries out this important mission, Rear Admiral Wade will work closely with the Hawaii Department of Health, the Environmental Protection Agency, and the local community to defuel the Red Hill facility while making environmentally protective decisions. The
0: expedited refueling could have the tanks empty of jet fuel by the summer of 2024. Adnan Syed, the man whose legal saga spawned the hit podcast Serial, walked away from a Baltimore courthouse Monday free of shackles after 23 years.
6: How do you feel? Right there, right there. Okay.
2: How do you feel? Right, oh, do Let's
5: get him in out the out? car. No, no why you call? the white right you call? here. How, Come
2: on. Feel? How, do you feel,
3: no. How do you feel, man? Get him in. Get him Get him in. Get Get him in. Get him in.
0: Baltimore Circuit Judge Melissa Finn overturned Syed's murder conviction in the 1999 killing of He Min Lee. After prosecutors raised doubts about his guilt, it was revealed evidence about alternative suspects had been withheld. Saying her ruling was in the interests of justice and fairness, Finn ordered Syed placed on home detention wearing a GPS monitor. Prosecutors have 30 days to make a decision on dropping the charges. And finally, on Capitol Hill, during a hearing of the Senate Permanent Subcommittee on Investigations, Senator John Ossoff said a report showed nearly 1,000 unaccounted-for prison deaths in 2021. A witness who testified at the hearing, Belinda Haley, told about how her son, after being arrested on a nonviolent drug charge, was allowed to die from an untreated heart malady.
7: Matthew was suffering from cardiomyopathy which the for-profit medical provider ignored. (sighs) Studies show that the prognosis for people with untreated cardiomyopathy is bleak. And Matthew was never given any treatment. The for-profit medical provider had no intentions of treating him because cardiology appointments outside of the jail would cut into their profit margin. Matthew knew he was dying. He told me many times by phone and in a single jail visit that quote, I needed to get him out of here and that he didn't want to die here. The
0: sister of a man who committed suicide in a jail, Vanessa Farrow, says the system failed her family.
6: On February second, 2017, Jonathan hanged himself with a bedsheet in his cell. When we finally saw his lifeless body, the first time in 10 weeks, He was handcuffed to an intensive care unit bed. It was only then we realized how wrong we were to place our trust in this system, which told us there was no fault after their own internal investigation of Jonathan's death. It is only through our our own insistence over the past five years that we have come to learn how hard Jonathan tried to receive help. How belittled he was. How no one believed him. How so many other people have died in the same jail under the same conditions.
0: Witnesses testified the Department of Justice was ignoring the Death in Custody Reporting Act and failing to determine who and why people are dying behind bars. Law professor Andrea Armstrong of Loyola University, New Orleans, says she's tasked her law students with collecting data the government won't.
8: But unfortunately, due to changes in the federal collection of data on deaths, we will no longer be able to identify patterns like these. That's because the Department of Justice no longer collects information on incident locations within a prison or jail. It also doesn't collect information from facilities where there were zero deaths, meaning it will be harder for facilities to learn from each other what works and what doesn't work. Changes in what's collected is not the only problem. In addition, the Department of Justice is undercounting deaths. For deaths in 2020, Louisiana reported six total deaths to the Bureau of Justice Assistance. In contrast, Loyola Law students identified 180 deaths in 2020 in Louisiana prisons and jails. And multiple sheriffs informed our students that they were no longer required to report deaths in custody for federal data collection. And if Louisiana's experience is similar to those of other states, 2020 will be the first year in almost two decades in which the Department of Justice cannot tell us Who is dying
0: behind bars and why? Armstrong says the vast majority of deaths in jails occur when the prisoner is in solitary confinement, often called segregation. And that's some of the news for Tuesday, September 20th, 2022. The news was produced, written, and anchored by myself, Paul Durienzo. You can get the news at pauldirienzo.com or at your favorite podcast source. You can also support the news at our Patreon page. From New York City, I'm Paul Durienzo. Thanks for listening.